Take your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 7, please. John 7. And if you are visiting with us, we've been in the book of John, the Gospel of John, for many weeks. And we started John chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago and continue here as we work verse by verse through the Gospel of John. We're dealing with a section here that we started a couple of weeks ago um, from verse 14 down through verse 36. And I'm going to read these verses again to you. And the context of this is that Jesus has gone up to the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a Jewish feast that every male was required to attend, one of three. And his brothers had gone up already, and he told them he would go up at a different time. It wasn't going to go with them. And we find that Jesus went up secretly as it were. In this whole passage, this whole context, uh, not only are we dealing with the events that took place during the Feast of Tabernacles, but we're really dealing with people who were confused or who uh, didn't understand or who rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Christ as Messiah. People confused about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And, and we'll still deal with some of that as well today. But that's kind of the whole idea. And I want you to understand that picture as we read through these verses here. Beginning in verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken... Are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? He's referring to the man that he, the impotent man that he healed in John chapter 5, that he healed uh, and made to walk. And and he told him to take up his bed and walk. And the Pharisees sought to kill Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. So this is what he's referring to here. And then Jesus says in verse 24, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hold or laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him, Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. And we'll stop right there. Some of these verses, maybe on the surface, are hard to understand, but as we walk through the context of all of this, you'll begin to see what's happening here and what Jesus is saying. And we're going to see 
three different things today. We're going to see that there's still many who have the wrong view of Jesus and who He is. We're also going to see that we are accountable and we must believe the truth about Jesus. And then thirdly, the last thing that we're going to see is that our eternal destiny depends upon what we believe concerning Jesus Christ. Before we get into those points this morning, I'm going to tell you a a story. There's a funny story that is told of two old ladies who lived together in their old age. And one summer night, uh, the evening was beautiful. It was it was uh, a, a warm summer night. It was uh, no wind, and it was just a time for them that they decided they wanted to go and sit on the porch. And so the old ladies went out and sat on the porch together, just enjoying this peaceful summer night. And as they're sitting there on the porch, one woman was listening to the sound of a church choir a few doors away as they practiced. The other woman was listening to the sound of the crickets chirping in the yard. And the woman listening to the choir said, Isn't that such a lovely sound? Well, the woman listening to the crickets replied, Yes, and I understand that they do it by rubbing their legs together. They were confused. They weren't on the same page. And the story is a funny story, and confusion sometimes can be humorous like that, but at other times, confusion can be disastrous. That's especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. And contrary to the prevailing and popular view of today, spiritual truth is not whatever each person prefers it to be. There are not many ways to God, and a person cannot just pick whatever suits their fancy. Jesus was very exclusive when he said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now listen, either Jesus was right or Jesus was wrong. There's no in-between there. And he's very exclusive in his statement. So either Jesus is true and he's the son of God and he's God in the flesh and what he said is right, or he's wrong and he's evil. Either either way, a person has to choose what they believe concerning Jesus Christ. You must decide. Spiritual truth is quite narrow, friend, but spiritual confusion is eternally fatal. And in our text this morning, we see that Jesus has gone up to the feast, but we're also still dealing with people in the context of people not believing Him to be the Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. That is no surprise, as John 1 in verse 11 says, that He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But the very next verse says, but as many as received him, they believed him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so the overall feeling of our text is that there's a lot of people who were confused about who Jesus was. And John, in his gospel, is writing specifically to point to and highlight the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God in the flesh. And John said in John 20 and verse 31, these things I've written unto you that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so John is showing us that while there are many confused opinions about who Jesus is, here's the truth of the matter, friend. Your eternal destiny depends on believing the truth concerning Jesus Christ. We don't get to choose whether Jesus is right or wrong, actually. We only have the choice of believing Him or not. And so I want us to look at this passage here. And again, we're going to consider these three things. There are many who have wrong views about Jesus Christ, but we must believe the truth concerning Him. And thirdly, our eternal destiny depends upon what we believe about Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word 
Lord, I pray that you'd be here with your spirit, Lord, to draw to the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those that are not saved, Father, I pray that you'd bring great conviction over their soul today of their great need of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Consider with me, first of all, the many that have a wrong view of Jesus and who He is. We read in verses 14 down through 24 this conversation that Jesus has with with several. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus went up to the feast in the middle of it, and then He's standing in the temple and He's teaching. And last week we covered these verses, and verse 15 shows us that the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And as I said, the overall feeling of this text is that there were, there were and there are today still a lot of confused people regarding uh, who Jesus is. However, just like Jesus said in verse 17, if a person really wants to know God, and a person really wants to know truth, and a person has a desire in their heart to obey God, there won't be confusion about who Jesus is. God will reveal the truth to them. Verse 17 says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So these people said, How does this man know this stuff, having never learned? But then Jesus says, when I'm teaching you, my doctrine is not of me. I didn't learn it in a school. It wasn't your rabbinical schools that taught me this. My message is from God himself. And if you really want to know the truth, you'll know and you'll understand that what I'm saying is of God. There will be something about it that is screaming in your soul that this is true. Something the Spirit of God does. And so they were confused, but it wasn't for a lack of evidence. These people denied Jesus because, first of all, they valued the wrong things. Verse 15 showed us. They said, how does he know this, having never learned? These people denied Jesus because they valued the wrong things. And as we saw last week, these Jewish leaders valued their rabbinical training. Their rabbinical schools. See, they had a good old boys club of those who graduated from their schools. And here's what the, here's what the Jews would do, the leaders would do. Whenever they were teaching the people in the synagogue, whenever they taught in, in the temple, the rabbis would cite the proper rabbinical authorities. In other words, they would say something like this. They would say, you know... Uh, uh, Rabbi so-and-so, in his, in his great wisdom, said this and, you know, and expounded upon this. They would prop each other up by citing the, the proper rabbinical authorities. But here was Jesus, who comes along from the insignificant town of Nazareth, and he's teaching the people without citing the, the esteemed rabbis. You can read about sometimes what Jesus would say, like in Matthew chapter 5, for example. Jesus would say something like this. You've heard it said this, but I say unto you this. That, that was different than what the leaders would do. They would say, proper rabbinical authorities, Mr. Brother so-and-so said this. But here's Jesus who says, you've heard it said. He didn't cite them. He didn't give them their credit. He didn't give them their props. And they didn't like it. When you get over to Matthew chapter 7, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, we find the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, let's go over there. Hold your place. Matthew 7. And note this because it was so different in the ears, in the minds of the people who heard Jesus teach. And we find the concluding words of the Sermon on the Mount. And note this in verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Interesting. 
See, the scribes, the Pharisees, they valued the name and the popularity that their education gave them. They didn't want to lose that. They didn't want to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, and so they rejected Him because they valued the wrong things. That leads to the next reason. Not only did they reject Him because they valued the wrong things, but they weren't really willing to obey God in the first place. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 17, if you go back to our text. He says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, we've already looked at this, but note further what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that the reason that people do not recognize Jesus for who he is, it does not hinge on having enough evidence, but it hinges on not having obedience. If you really want to obey God, God's going to reveal truth to you. But the problem was not in their heart. They didn't really want to submit to God and obey God. If a person is willing to obey God, he will know that Jesus was sent from God and he speaks God's truth. There's one man who said this a long time ago. Pay attention to the words. He said this, Don't seek to understand in order to believe. Rather, believe so that you can understand. And this is true when it comes to the Word of God. And basically, in other words, if you come to the the Bible as a scoffer, you're going to go away a scoffer. If you come to the Bible disbelieving, you're going to go away disbelieving. Why? Because Jesus never committed himself to the heart that is full of unbelief. We read about that in John chapter 2. When Jesus worked these miracles, and the Bible says that the people believed on Jesus for the miracles which he did. But the very next verse, it says that Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew what was in the heart of man. That belief was not a belief unto saving faith. They wanted something. And Jesus didn't commit himself to them. He never commits himself to an unbelieving heart. Verse 19 of our text gives us evidence that they weren't really wanting to obey God anyway. Note this, verse 19, Did Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? Here's evidence that they weren't really wanting to obey God anyway. They were just legalistic hypocrites. That's what they were. They prided themselves on having a relationship with God, these Jewish leaders did, because they kept the letter of the law. That's how they presented themselves. But in reality, they didn't. They were ready to break the sixth commandment. They wanted to kill Jesus. They were legalistic hypocrites. You say, well, what is legalism? Legalism is when a person keeps certain man-made rules or parts of God's word that he can do externally so that everyone will notice how, quote, righteous he is. But he doesn't deal with the sin of his own heart. And so he puts on a show keeping out this outward appearance, but he doesn't actually deal with the sin of his own heart. And listen, friend, listen, friend, a lot of us do that. A lot of people do that. But it's foolishness to do that, because God knows every private thought that you've ever had. It's foolishness to try to put on an outward show of righteousness, while at the same time neglecting to judge the sinful thoughts, such as pride and greed and lust and selfishness and jealousy that comes from our corrupt heart. There's a lot of people who profess to know God. People who sit in church pews just like this, who try to put on a show of righteousness so that everyone will think that I'm a Christian. Everyone will think I'm saved. What will people think if I admit that I'm actually lost? So they continue to try to put on a show. That is legalism. That is hypocrisy. And God does not commit himself to that heart, because there's really no heart to want to obey God in the first place. Listen, we might impress other people, but God isn't impressed at all. Legalistic hypocrisy will cause a person to actually reject Jesus Christ, the righteous one 
who sees right through you. These people rejected Jesus, but not because of a lack of evidence, because they didn't really have a heart to obey God in the first place. We also see in verse 24 that they were all about the external and not the spiritual. In verse 24, Jesus says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. What's, he's ta- what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about from verse 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and you all marvel. He's referring back to the impotent man that he healed on the Sabbath day. And he says to them, he says, In verse 22, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? He says, you need to judge righteous judgment. Don't judge according to the outward appearance. You need to have the right thinking and and judge righteous judgment. Jesus exhorts these scoffers here. He says, stop judging according to the outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And what I'm saying is that they were judging Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath day and told him to carry his mat, which was a violation of their legalistic additions to Sabbath day commandment. But at the same time, they were rejecting the true and righteous one and seeking to kill him. You can't work on the Sabbath day. And what you did was a work. He says, you guys circumcise a person on, on the Sabbath day. If, according to the law, if, if a baby reaches that eight-day mark and it happens to be the Sabbath day so that you don't violate the law of Moses, you go ahead and circumcise them. And you cause wounds. But you're angry at me because I made a person whole, completely whole on the Sabbath day? You don't know what you're talking about. What's the application? Well, the point here is that if you judge who Jesus is superficially, you're going to end up rejecting him as he really is. Well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was concerned about man, but you know, Jesus died before his time. Jesus wasn't truly God in the flesh. Jesus was a created being. There's a lot of religions that think that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But if you end up judging him superficially, you'll end up rejecting him as he really is, that he is Lord and Christ. There are many who think that Jesus was always gentle and kind and nice. Jesus is portrayed so effeminately most of the time by secular uh, portrayals. And I'm not even sure how that myth ever even got started. But here's the truth. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus strongly confronted sin. That's actually what he's doing right here with these Pharisees, confronting sin. And here's the truth, friend. You can't trust in him and you can't walk with him without him confronting your sin. He always wants to do that. He'll do it in love because sin destroys, but he will and does confront sin. And this, friend, becomes the bottom line for why men reject Jesus Christ. It's because they love their sin and they don't want to be confronted over it. They don't want to be accountable for it. That's the bottom line. If you truly believe in Jesus, you're going to let his word confront you and confront your sin regularly. Listen, if we are not confronted with the fact that we are guilty before God and we violate His holy law and His command, that we can't possibly have a relationship with Him, the reason is because there's nothing good in me and I'm undone and I'm a sinful man. I don't have a relationship with God. If we can't be confronted with that, then we cannot possibly be saved. One man said this, It is difficult for us to believe because it's difficult for us to obey. If you're willing to obey, God will show you that Jesus is God's true and righteous one, that he is worthy of all your trust 
he'll also show you that the reason you need him is because you're in danger before a holy God. Your eternal soul is in danger before God. That's why you need him. So there were many still who were confused. They rejected Jesus, but it wasn't for a lack of evidence. The second principle that we pull out of this passage here is that we are required and we must believe the truth concerning him. See, they were confused about him, but it wasn't for a lack of evidence. They had to come to a choice to believe the truth concerning him. We don't know what. Now, let's look at these verses, verse 25 and following. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man, whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Here we find the choice that these people were accountable for, the truth. They needed to believe the truth concerning him. Now, we don't know whether Jesus overheard the confusion of the people in the temple or whether he knew supernaturally what they were thinking. But verse 28 says, so here's the confusion. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, verse 25, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly. And do the rulers indeed know that this is the very Christ? Look at verse 27. Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. And then verse 28 says that, that Jesus cried out in the temple at that moment. That phrase, cried out, it really basically means a loud shout so that everybody could hear. What does he say? What does Jesus say? What is the truth concerning Jesus Christ? Well, the first part of verse 28 says, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. Now, in verse 28, when Jesus cries out, ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, he's responding to verse 27 and the statement that they made. The people said, well, we know this man. We know where he's from. We know who he is. This reveals their heart condition about Jesus Christ. They said, we know that this is the guy from Nazareth. We know that this is Joseph's son. We know that he's just a regular guy. He can't be, is not the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying in verse 28, when he says, ye both know me and know whence I am, he's saying, you think you know me. You think you know where I come from, but you have no idea because I don't come of myself. And Jesus testifies here that he is sent from God. And this is the first truth that people must believe concerning Jesus Christ, that he is sent from God. Look at verse 29. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Jesus testifies that he is sent from God. What does it mean to be sent from God? Well, there's some pretty big implications in that statement that I am from him and he sent me. First of all, it means that Jesus Christ is eternal. If he is sent from God, it means that he's eternal. He didn't begin his existence when he was born to the Virgin Mary. Jesus existed forever with the Father in glory before he came to this earth. In fact, look at John chapter 8 and verse 58. In John 8, Jesus tells the hostile Jews, in verse 58, he says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. 
Before Abraham was, I am. You know, that's not just a statement of the fact that I existed before Abraham. It's a statement of the fact that he is Jehovah God himself. They picked up on his identifying himself with Jehovah God because Jehovah told Moses that his name was I am, the great I am. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Look at John 17. John chapter 17, in verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus acknowledges, before the world ever was, I was with the Father. In John 1, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word was made flesh. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus says, I know God. I know the Father. Why? Because I'm from Him and He sent me. He sent from God. It means that He's eternal. This is a truth that people have to believe. And contrary to what the Jehovah's Witnesses say and others believe, there was never a time when Jesus did not exist. When he took on human flesh, his deity was not diminished in any way. It wasn't mixed together into some hybrid form that made him less than God. He is fully, completely God. This is what people must believe. And listen, to deny this is to deny Jesus' own words and to deny the truth that has to be believed in order for a person ever to be saved. Not only is He eternal, but it also implies that He has God's authority. He says, I know Him because I'm sent from Him. Not only is he eternal, but it means or implies that he has God's, God's authority. You know, when Jesus worked the miracles that he did, what an amazing thing to behold. Can you imagine? Like the time the guy had the withered hand in the temple. Let's just say you're sitting in church and you know this guy. And he's all crippled up like Chris or something. I mean, Wait, did that, did that come out loud? Guy's got a withered hand. Everybody knows the guy. And Jesus comes into the temple and the Pharisees were watching him to see what he would do. And Jesus knew that. And so he says, well, I'll show you what I'm going to do. And he tells the guy to come and stand in front of everybody. Come on up here. Right in front of the whole crowd. And the Bible says that his hand was made whole. Like it was brand new. And everybody watching would have been marveling in amazement at what Jesus did. Or the time when Jesus made the man who'd who'd had the infirmity for 30 and 8 years. People knew this guy. He was always sitting there. He couldn't walk. He was impotent. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk on the Sabbath day. People were in shock about what just happened. Who can do that? But God only. Or the time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Or the time when other people who were sick were made whole. Multitudes and multitudes of miracles Jesus did that nobody can do. And the Pharisees looked right over that. That it was a miracle. And they wanted to accuse him. But deep in their heart they knew. They knew Something was different because even Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus in John chapter 3, the the Bible says in verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. The point I'm making is that he operated under God's authority. And it was undeniable 
for the heart that truly was open to truth. When he talked about his doctrine in verse 16 of our text, he said, my doctrine is not my own. It's the one who sent me. In other words, he's saying what I'm teaching. I'm relaying to you exactly what God the Father wants me to say and wants you to know. And so to reject Jesus or to reject his teaching from the word of God is to reject God himself. Not only does it tell us that he is eternal and that he operates under God's authority, but it also tells us that he operates under God's protection. Look at verse 30 of our text. Would you go back to to John chapter 7? He says he testifies of the truth that he is sent from God. In John 7 in verse 30, it implies and tells us that it means he's under God's protection Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. What does this tell us? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to arrest him. But no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. How this demonstrates the invincibility of God's eternal decrees. These men could no more arrest Jesus Christ than they could stop the sun from shining. It wasn't even possible for them, even though they wanted to. And listen, all the hatred of men, all the enmity of Satan and his hosts, they couldn't hasten the appointed time of Jesus Christ's death. His hour was not yet come. They had no power. It tells us, listen, friends, it tells us that Jesus didn't go to the cross as a misunderstood victim. It tells us that that he wasn't the victim of of circumstance. It tells us that he wasn't just a good man who, who died an early death. It tells us that he's under God's protection and he willingly laid down his life for the sin of your soul. According to the good pleasure of God the Father. And what blasphemy to say that Jesus was just a good man who died an untimely death. No, he's God. He's eternal. He operates with God's authority. He's under God's protection. He's sent from God. This is a truth that people must believe. Do you know this? thought of him being under God's protection, this same truth applies to you and to me, though, friends. Death cannot strike us down before God's predetermined time. If you're a child of God, remember this. There might be a frightful pandemic of disease that comes about. Many may fall victim to it. But no matter how the pandemic may rage, it cannot harm unless the God of heaven allows. You say, well, you don't know that, Pastor. Well, consider these scriptures. Psalm 91 in verse 4 says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. That speaks of the control of God the Father. Go to Job chapter 7 with me. And note, concerning man's life, what Job says. Job 7, 1 says, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? Basically what that means is that they are strictly numbered. The days of an hireling, they're strictly numbered. And he says, is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? His, the, the days of your life, friend, are strictly numbered. Look at Job 14. Job chapter 14. In verse 
5. It says, who, verse 4 says, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. You know what? You're not going to live a day longer than God has appointed. You and I are not going to live one day longer than God has appointed. But you know what? We're, not, we're also not going to, we're also, in, in, especially in Jesus Christ's case, he didn't die an untimely death. It was appointed by God the Father. In chapter 14, verse 14, we're here. Look at verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Listen, friend. We also need to know this. Hebrews 9 and verse 20 says, 27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. What a marvelous truth that Jesus testifies that he is sent from God. Do you believe it? It's got to be believed in order to be saved. You go back to our text and we'll find that not only is he sent from God, but the Bible says that Jesus testifies that he knows God. In John chapter 7, I'll try to hurry through these. John 7, verse 29, he says, But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. In verse 28, at the end of verse 28, he said to the people, You don't know him, whom ye know not, but I know him, for I am from him. So Jesus testifies that he knows God. The people did not. And most of Jesus' hearers, for the most part, they didn't know God. But Jesus plainly states here in verse 29, the reason I know him is because I am from him. And Jesus had a unique and thorough knowledge of God the Father because he was one with the Father. Read John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and my Father are one. Not one in spirit, not just one in, 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 you know, in, 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 in agreement, but I and my Father are one. He alone existed with the Father from eternity past. And so Jesus is the one who can uniquely reveal God the Father to us. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. The only way, friend, that we can know God is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I know God. I have a relationship with God. The only way that you can know God is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's also another truth. Knowing God will change you. Knowing God will change your life. It'll change you to begin to look more like Jesus because He alone can reveal the Father. Listen, knowing God means it's going to affect the way that you live and the way that you think. Knowing God is going to affect the way that you live and the way that you think. It's not what a person says, oh, I know God. Lots of people say that. But where's the evidence of it? Where's the proof of it? If you know God, it's going to change you. It's going to change you. You're going to stop being a victim all the time, and you're going to start trusting His will and His way. People want to play the victim card all the time. The problems in my life are not my fault. I'm a, I'm a victim of circumstance, or this is this and that is that, and somebody else's fault. You know, when you know God, it's going to change you, and you're not going to be a victim all the time. You're going to trust the Lord with His will and His way. It's going to affect your relationship with others so that the fruit of the Spirit shines through, that the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control are things that become more and more evident in your life and in your relationship with people. You walk around with a chip on your shoulder all the time, there's no love and there's no peace, no joy in your soul. Friend, you say you know God, but when, does it, when did it change you? 
Where's the love? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where's the gentleness and the kindness? Hey, those are all fruits of the Spirit of God. Now you're just mean, Pastor. Well, you got to know God. you got to believe the truth about Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ, really, and it's going to change your life. If your life hasn't changed, maybe it's because you don't really know Him. You know what? The better that you know God, the more effectively you'll want to represent Him as His ambassador to lost people, too. The more you have personally tasted of the goodness of the Lord, the more readily you're going to want to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. There might be many who are confused and they have confused opinions about who Jesus is. But the bottom line is we need to believe the truth about Him. And we have His own testimony of Himself, of who He is, that He's sent from God, and He knows God in a unique way, and we can only know God ourselves through faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to draw your attention to the final verses of our text this morning, and I'll be brief. Because they give us a very solemn warning here. Look at verse 32. And the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me? And where I am, thither ye cannot come. See their heart here? But here's the warning. And what I want to draw your attention to is that your eternal destiny depends on believing in Him while you have the chance. While you have the chance. In verse 31, excuse me, rather, in verse 34, Jesus said, you're going to seek me, but you're not going to be able to find me. And where I am, you can't come. Whether or not this... Well, let's back up just a little bit to verse 31, because I want to just comment on this here. Verse 31 says, And many of the people believed on Him, and said, When Christ cometh, will He do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Whether or not this was belief that was of the saving kind is hard to discern. I personally don't think it was. I think it was similar to what we talked about in John chapter 2, where people believed on him for the miracles which he did, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. I think this is a similar situation where many believed on him, but they said, notice what they said. When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? That kind of reveals what's in their heart, too. They didn't believe that he was the Christ. Their closing words intimate that they didn't believe Jesus to be the Messiah himself. And right after that, Jesus foretells of his own death, which would happen six months later. In verse 33, Yet a little while I am with you, And then I go unto him that sent me. And verses 34 to 36 give us that chilling, sober truth that that, that there's an opportunity to seek the Lord. And you need to seek him while he can be found. 
He says, because you're going to seek after me and you're not going to find me. And where I am, you can't come. Why? Because you had the chance. You had the opportunity. I presented myself to you, but the day has passed. And you're accountable for the truth that you knew, but you rejected. The important thing, friend, is to truly believe in Christ as Savior and Lord while you have the opportunity. But some miss that window of opportunity and they end up facing God's awful judgment for rejecting Jesus Christ. These that Jesus is talking to would not be able to go to heaven because they missed the day of salvation. And in typical fashion, the Jewish leaders, they misunderstood Jesus' statement altogether. And they seem to be mocking when they speculate that this man, a demeaning way of referring to Jesus, oh, he, what is he going to do? Is he going to go out of Jerusalem? Is he going to go start teaching the Gentiles? Jesus doesn't even respond to that confusion. He simply leaves them wondering what he means. And my point is this. It's a terrible, terrible thing to walk away from the day of salvation and then be left in confusion about Jesus because there are eternal consequences. My friend, the Bible says that at some point there's not going to be any confusion about who Jesus is because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him Lord to the glory of God the Father. You've got an opportunity today. You need to consider this truth because your eternal destiny depends upon it. You know what? It's kind of funny when someone is confused about a church choir making music by rubbing their legs together. But it's really tragic when somebody's confused about Jesus and rejects his testimony of who he is. It's not because of a lack of evidence. God has given you a measure of light today, even through this message. And he says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't miss the opportunity to trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word according to your will. And for those that are not saved in this room, Father, may they yield to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May they turn in repentance toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And for it's in His name we pray. Amen.